0: The following message, entitled, Walk in Purity, Part 9 of the series, United, was given by Stephen Altrogi on September 4, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, if you could please turn to Ephesians, Chapter 5. We are in the middle of our series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Starting in verse 1 all the way down to verse 14. And as I was thinking about this passage that we're going to be in this week, I was reminded of when I was growing up and my dad... Uh I love my dad. He's great. Best dad I ever had. And uh he's not especially coordinated though when it comes to using the television and VCR remote. And so we would be watching a movie and uh it would depending on the movie there might come a scene that had to be fast forwarded because it was inappropriate and my dad usually had a couple different strategies for trying to keep these scenes out of our vision and so the first thing he would do is he would start saying like trying to alert us that something was coming and then he would try to find the remote and it usually took him a couple seconds to find it and whenever he would find it he would inevitably either pause the, the DVD or start rewinding it or put it in slow motion which was the best There was another friend of ours trying to do something similar for his kids. He tried to take a movie. uh, The movie was Independence Day. And he tried to create a family-friendly version of it by using two VCRs. And whenever the the movie was playing, he was recording it on another tape. And whenever something like a a curse word or an inappropriate scene would come, he would pause the recording so that it wouldn't be on the family-friendly version. But what ended up happening was... He couldn't ever get the timing right, and so a lot of times what happened is they'd be watching the movie, the scene would pause, or the the screen would go black, and then right as it came on, the guy would say the swear word. (laughs) And so it it didn't work at all. But even though these things sound silly, and they sound like, uh, that's just a a funny story, I appreciate them, because my dad and this other friend of ours, they were trying to take this passage that we're going to look at this morning seriously. And we're in Ephesians, and we've seen all that God has done to save us. And now we're in the part of Ephesians where it talks about how we are supposed to now live. In light of all that God has done for us, how are we supposed to live? And so last week we were learning about not lying to one another, not stealing from one another, speaking kind words and encouraging words to one another... And this morning, God's Word is going to speak to us about purity. And in particular, sexual purity. And when we become Christians, everything changes. The way we think about speech changes. The way we think about lying and stealing and relationships change. And the way we think about sexual things change. And our relationship with God, it affects every single area of our life And that's what we're going to read about this morning. And from the beginning, I just want to say, this is a hard passage. As I was reading it this week, I was just aware, this is a, it's not a fun message. There are certain messages that when you get to preach them, it's like, oh, this is just going to be a great, encouraging message for people. This isn't one of those messages, but it's a good message for us. It's really crucial and important for us, and it shows us how high the calling is that we've received. And we need God's help as we read this. So would you read with me in Ephesians 5, 1-14. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You this morning humbly and reverently. We acknowledge You are God and we are not. And Lord, we want to submit ourselves to Your Word no matter how high or hard that Word seems. And so Lord, as we read this and study this, I pray that it would affect all of us and that we would be changed and that we would live as children of light. Lord, I pray that any defensiveness we would have as we read this would be brought down and that we would... Simply listen and and receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The main passage from this point this morning is that as children of light, we must walk in purity. As children of light, we must walk in purity. And this passage is broken down to two separate points. First, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he talks about how we need to walk and what our relationship with God should look like. And then, in the second half of the passage, he tells us why. Why is this all so important? And so the first thing that we see is that we are called to walk in purity. That's the first point, walk in purity. And in verse 1 we read, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as Christians, the call on our life, the call on you and the call on me, is that we would be imitators of God. Now that's a high calling right off the bat, isn't it? We are called to be imitators of the living God. And it's because we are beloved children. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And because we are the children of God, we're called to imitate and mimic God. Just like our children imitate us, and they learn things from us, sometimes good and sometimes bad. With God, we're called to imitate Him and to live and be as God is. And so in the previous verses, we read about some of the ways we're supposed to imitate God, the things we're supposed to put on, truthfulness and godly speech and generosity. And in the following verses that we're going to read right now, we're told what we're supposed to put out of our lives. And we read in verse 3 that there are some things that have zero place, no place in our lives as Christians at all. And so look down at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Aren't these strong words? This is like about as black and white as you can get. And we live in a culture, I think why this is so shocking and hard is we live in a culture that absolutely celebrates immorality and celebrates impurity and rejoices in these things and it's everywhere. It's not just tolerated. It's not like we just tolerate it. It's everywhere. We celebrate it. And you see it in television shows where they they just thrive on impure jokes and on storylines where an affair is a central part of the storyline. Or you listen to music and it's just full of impurity and immorality. And I recently saw this advertisement for a GPS. And the selling point of the GPS was Do you think your spouse is cheating on you? Well, this will help you find out. Isn't that sad? We're at such a point in our culture where immorality is so rampant that we have to sell products to help people figure out what's going on. And I think because it's so rampant and it's just easy for us to get used to being surrounded by it, isn't it? We we just feel used to it. We feel numb to it and I think it doesn't bother us as much as it should. But God's word, it's so clear. God's Word is so clear on this issue. There's no gray areas here. It says, Immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among us. In other words, there can't even be a hint of it. Not even a drop of it. If I had a a glass of water and I said to my brother David who's sitting right down front, David, come on up here. I have this glass of water I want to give you, but there's just one thing. I want to tell you that there's one drop of arsenic in this water. That would be crazy for him to drink it, wouldn't it? Because one little bit of poison, I don't know exactly how much, but one little bit of poison is going to ruin the whole glass. And so God says to us, there cannot be one little bit of impurity or immorality because it's like gangrene. It spreads, it ruins us. There can't be any impurity among us. And all the bases are covered. And so if you look down, the first thing it lists is immorality. There can't be any immorality among us. And this includes all sexual behavior outside of marriage. All of it. And so if you're in a relationship with a guy or a girl and you are not married, there cannot be any sexual behavior. And I know that this sounds crazy in our culture. This sounds insane. But this is God's Word. And we don't get to decide what's crazy and what's not. There can't be any compromises. Not even a little bit of compromises. And I think the attitude... I'm just praying that our attitude would be, Lord, I don't want to argue with this. I just want to understand it. And apply it. And so there can't be any immorality. There can't be any impurity among us either. This is a huge category. No impurity. That means... No impurity in our thoughts. No impurity in our jokes. No impurity in our text messaging. No impurity in our Facebook. No impurity in our email. No impurity in the things we say at work. In our television watching. Our internet usage. Our interactions with the opposite sex. None. And then finally, it says there can't be any covetousness among us. And I think in this context what this is referring to, primarily would be coveting a person. I think that's primarily what this is referring to here is when we covet someone else to the point where we're coveting a person and we want them. Maybe you're coveting someone else's spouse. Being dissatisfied with your own spouse, coveting someone else, and this is the kind of coveting that often leads to impurity and immorality. And so, there can't be any covetousness among us. So, do you feel the weight as we read this? Do you feel the weight of this passage? It's a heavy passage. I'm grateful that God doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. This is a weighty passage, and it's not like God says, "You know what? Here's what I want you to do. Just just try your best." Just try your best to be pure. But you know what? I know, I know you're surrounded by all this stuff, so it's alright if something slips in. That's not what God says. He says there can't even be a hint of it. Not a bit, not a drop, not the slightest suspicion of it. Now why is this? Why is God so insistent on this? Why is God hammering this so hard? Isn't this like a little bit extreme isn't this a little bit too high? Isn't this too high of a standard? Well, look at verse 3. Here's why. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And so God says, It's not proper. These things are improper among the saints. And in the Bible, a saint is not a person who was especially holy or who performed a miracle or who was venerated by thousands of people, a saint is a Christian. Every Christian is called a saint in the Bible, and our identity this is important for us to get our identity is as the people of God, saints of the living God, the children of God, and because of our identity, that shapes the way we're supposed to live. Who we are determines how we are called to live. And so God says, you're to imitate me. Be like me. God the pure, the holy, the just, the beautiful and good. Live like the living God. Imitate God. You are the people of God. And so impurity and immorality, there's no place for it. It's just not right. And we can't have any tolerance for it because you are the people of the living God. And it's not, we're supposed to pursue, pursue purity in our actions and in our thoughts. But we're also supposed to pursue it in our speech. Total purity in our speech. Look at verse 4. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I don't think what this is saying is that we're supposed to always be serious and never say anything humorous. I think this is referring to inappropriate, ungodly, sexual speech flowing out of a dirty heart. Filthy speech that flows out of an ungodly heart. And so God says, let there be none of that. None of it. Don't let there be a hint of that among you. Our words and our jokes and our conversations have to be pure. No crude jokes, no ungodly sexual speech, no filthiness. And just imagine yourself, imagine if you're talking to a friend and you're having a great conversation talking about, you know, it's almost football season, the Steelers are here, falls in the air, it's great. And then all of a sudden your friend starts speaking and this black vile liquid starts pouring out of their mouth. Wouldn't that be utterly revolting? You would... You would step back, it's smeared all over their mouth. You see it, you would be disgusted by that. And God's word says that when we speak immorality or impurity, that's what's happening. It's disgusting to God. I think we can tend to, we take words, I tend to take words not nearly as seriously as I should. So the word of God says, don't let there be any impure speech among you. And what should flow out of our mouths is thanksgiving. This is the opposite. Let no impure speech come out of your mouth, but let thanksgiving flow out of your mouth. Because if you think about it, sexual sin, it's all about self-gratification, isn't it? Sexual impurity, immorality, all, it's all about satisfying yourself and enjoying a gift of God that was never intended to be enjoyed in the way that you were enjoying it. That's what immorality is. It's all about self. And thanksgiving is the opposite of this. Thanksgiving is a turning away from me to God. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for drawing me to yourself. And do you know what? One of the, I think one of the helpful tactics in fighting impurity is thanksgiving. Have you ever thought about that? Because thanksgiving turns you away from the temptation to God. And you say, Lord, thank you for, for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, God, that you promised to satisfy me a whole lot more than this promises to satisfy me. And so thanksgiving is what should flow out of our mouths. And so this is a challenge to us. This is a challenge to all of us. This is a challenge to me. And I just want to encourage you, as we read this, can I encourage you to wrestle with this? And to wrestle with how this should affect you? you? What areas of your life does this apply to you? Because all of us struggle in different ways, and so how does this word from the Lord apply to you? Do the jokes or comments that we make at work, do they honor God or do they celebrate impurity? Do we watch television shows that celebrate and laugh at the things that God says are abominable? And this is hard because it's everywhere. I know. You watch TV for like 30 seconds and you're going to see it. And so that's why I don't want to lay out specific rules. I just want to encourage you, wrestle with this. How does this apply to you? What about, I just want to ask the teens, what about with your text messaging? Would you be okay with your parents scrolling through all the text messages that you've sent over the last month? Or what about in the way that we use Facebook and the internet? Would you be comfortable with your husband or your wife or your parents seeing all that you say on Facebook? And you know what, Facebook, I think it can be a wonderful tool. It's a great way to stay connected with people. But it can also be a big temptation because Facebook has made it easier to connect with people than ever before. And it can be one of the things that always frightens me is when I see people connecting with people from their past that they've had relationships with. Because that can open a gateway to temptation. So I just want to urge you, be careful in how you use it. It can be a wonderful blessing to connect with people, but it also can be a temptation. So let's be careful. Let's apply the Word of God to that area. Because we're called to complete and total purity. Now, As we think about this, I can, I think we can think why all this talk about sexual purity? Is this really a big deal? What are, are we Puritans now? Are we going back to the days when everybody, you want me to wear like a big black long jacket and one of those tall hats? This seems a little over the top. Is it really such a big deal? And the answer is, yeah. It's a matter of heaven and hell. Look at verse five. This is, So sobering. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This isn't little. This isn't insubstantial. It says, the sexually immoral and the impure and the covetous have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And in some ways, I wish I could say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Because it would be a lot easier to say that. And a lot more happy to say that. If we all just could let each other do what each other wanted. But that's not what God's Word says. It says, you can be sure. It's not even leaving it like some ambivalent statement. It says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I just want to clarify, this isn't talking about if you have sinned in impurity or immorality and you've repented and asked God to forgive you or if you are struggling with something but you hate it, you're, just, you're asking God to change you. This is talking about a life of habitual sin. Habitual immorality with no sorrow, no repentance, no trying to change. This is talking about giving in to whatever you want, whenever you want. If you have asked for forgiveness, I can assure you the blood of Jesus, it cleanses you from all sins. There is no sin too great for the blood of Jesus, but if you are regularly and habitually giving in to sin, I just, in, to sexual sin, I want to warn you and appeal to you. You're in danger. It's not a light thing. This is serious. And I don't say this because I've always wanted to be one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers who condemns everything. No, this is what the Word of God says. This is God speaking to you because He loves you. He's warning you, you're in danger of hell. And the wrath of God hangs over you. And if you don't repent, it says you may be sure. It's not like it might not happen. You may be sure of this. You don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And for some of you, maybe this is a secret area that nobody in your life knows about. Maybe you've been sinning sexually in secret for years and you're doing okay with it. Nobody knows about it and you think you're getting away with it and that it doesn't matter. Or maybe you're thinking about having an affair or you're in the middle of an affair and I just want to tell you, God knows about it. He sees it. There's nothing hidden. I don't care if your door is shut, whatever, the light's shut. There's nothing hidden from the living God. And I can assure you that you will experience the consequence for your sin. But I also can assure you that if you repent, you'll experience forgiveness. If you turn to God and say, Lord, I am sorry, you can be sure of this. The blood of Jesus will cover you. And that's why God is telling you this. This isn't just to make you feel bad. This is to make you turn to the only place you're going to find life. And that's in Jesus. And so I want to appeal to you today, just you need to stop. You need to, to turn from it. You need to tell somebody about it. You need to do whatever it takes to get out of this. Because Jesus, He punishes those who rebel against Him, but He will reward you with abundant, clean life that is so much more satisfying than anything you could ever find anywhere else. So please don't wait any longer to do that. And in verse 6, we need to be reminded of this. Verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We're always in danger of being deceived about this, because everywhere we look, it's deceiving. People are telling us it's okay. Television tells us it's okay, and God says, don't be deceived. This is why the wrath of God comes. Because... God hates impurity. And so the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. This is reality. Don't believe those who tell you it's not a big deal. And don't participate with people engaging in these things. Don't go with your friends to a place where you're going to be tempted. Don't participate in inappropriate conversations at work. 2 Timothy two twenty two says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart are we fleeing temptation? That's the question. Are you fleeing? Am I fleeing temptation? Don't play around with it. We don't want to think we can handle it. We're to flee it. And if you go to a place like Yellowstone National Park, I've been there before, you're going to see signs everywhere that say, don't mess around with the wildlife. There's these signs that say, if you see a grizzly bear, don't go near it don't feed it, don't try to hug it, don't try to ride on it. Don't mess with the grizzly bear because it's going to rip you to shreds. You're stupid if you play with a bear. People still do it, but it's stupid. And you know what? We're stupid if we play with temptation. It is so stupid. It can rip us to shreds. So let's, by God's grace, flee from immorality. Now, the reason is I think we can just think, well, this is just a bunch of rules that we've got to follow. No, that's not the reason why. It's not just rules, it's rooted in who we are. Our walk of purity is rooted in our identity. And so this brings us to the second point walk in light. Walk in purity, walk in light. And in verse 8 it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Before we came to know Christ, we were darkness. You notice that it doesn't say, it's interesting, it doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. Darkness. For at one time, you were darkness. One of our, our fundamental identity was darkness and sin and impurity and ungodliness. And we reveled in it. We delighted in it. We wallowed in it. We were darkness. But God has saved us and we are no longer darkness. Now we are light. It doesn't even say you are in the light. It says you are light. This is our identity. You, if you are a Christian, you have the light of the living God in you. Isn't that amazing? Once you were polluted with darkness, now you have the light of God in you. And according to the Bible, we are light. We're living in the good, wonderful, satisfying light of God. And because we are light, we need to walk as children of light. It's our identity. This is all about identity. You are light, so walk as children of light. We can't live like we once did. Sexual immorality and purity, they belong to the darkness. They belong in the dark. Now that we have light in us, what belongs is purity and following the Lord with a clean conscience. And it's kind of like when you clean a house, my wife, Jen, she is awesome at keeping our house clean so grateful for that, I appreciate that about her, and sometimes she goes on these things that I like to call cleaning binges, where she gets this like look of cleaning fury in her eyes, and like the next thing I know, she's mopped the kitchen floor, she's cleaned the bathroom, somehow all the living room is clean, and it's like this, it feels clean, you know what it's like when you have a clean, a a house that feels clean, isn't that a nice feeling, like all the clutter's gone, and all those dust balls, some of you are like, I don't know what that feels like. (laughs) Depending on how young your kids are, you might not know what that feels like. Um, when our house is clean, it is a nice feeling. It's like standing in a spring sunny meadow and the shunt sun— That's the Febreze commercials talking that I've seen. Now can you imagine if after Jen just cleaned the house, if I came into the living room or the kitchen and I was holding a piece of roadkill and I just dropped it on the floor... And I was like, hey, I found this outside. I thought I'd bring it in for us to look at. She would say, What are you doing? I just cleaned this whole place. Can't you see? Look, there's stuff all over the floor now. What? Get that out of here. That doesn't belong in here. You're bringing filth into this house. And it seems funny, but when we give in to impurity, it's like we're dragging a filthy carcass back into our lives. It's like we're bringing something disgusting and God says, what are you doing? Don't you know that you're in the light? You are light. I've cleansed you from that. Why are you going back to that? Get it out of here. Don't you know my son died for that? So that you could be clean. And now you're going to delight in it? What are you doing? It's not supposed to be here. Get it out. I freed you from that. And now you want to go back to it? What is wrong with you? We can't go back. We've been set free from slavery. And we're called to walk in accordance with our identity. And so in verse 10, look at verse 10. We're given some very specific instructions about how to walk in the light says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Every day we're going to come up against a thousand different choices that are not spelled out in the Bible. You're going to come up against, well, should I go to this place with this person? Should I watch this movie? Should I read this book? Should I participate in this conversation? And it's not enough to just say, well, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to watch this movie, so I'm going to watch it. Well, of course the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to watch that movie. What we need to be able to do is we need to discern what pleases the Lord. In other words, we need, need to be able to sort out the things that please God and then apply them to every different situation we come to. And so Romans 12, it's so helpful in these situations. It says this, write this down and memorize this scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God by testing what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the way to discern what pleases God is by having our minds renewed. This means having our minds trained by the Word of God so that we can understand the Word of God and so that we know how the Word of God applies to all these different complex situations that you encounter at school, at work, in your home, and the more you read the Bible, the more you hear preaching about the Bible, the more you read books about the Bible, spend time with other Christians who know the Bible, the more you're going to be trained to understand God's will. Have you ever met someone that it just seems like they know what to do in all these different situations? You just, they, they have the, this wisdom that they just are like, oh, we need to do this. And they, think, they, they just are able to spell out quickly what God would want them to do in a situation. Do you know why they're like that? That's how my parents are. That's how Tim and Donna McKelvey are. Do you know why they're like that? It's because they have been trained over years of reading the Bible and applying it to their lives. And training, it's often, it's a slow process. It's tedious. It doesn't seem like a lot's going on. When a professional athlete trains for something, they don't see anything incredible happening when they're training. The general rule for becoming an expert in something is 10,000 hours. If you want to be an expert in something, you spend 10,000 hours doing it. During those 10,000 hours, that's a lot of boring 10,000 hours. And so the athlete goes into the gym and he shoots shot after shot after shot by himself, nobody watching, and he doesn't see the fruit of that until it really counts. When there's three seconds left, tie game, he gets the ball, and he drains the shot. All that work for that one time. And it's the same with reading the Word of God. You're probably not going to experience anything impressive when you read the Bible. Maybe you will, but probably not. But you know what? You'll see the fruit when you come to situations where you need wisdom. When you've studied God's Word, you've memorized it, you've put it in your heart, and you've applied it to your life, you'll see God's Word at work in your life when you need wisdom. And so I just want to appeal to you, get God's Word into your life as much as possible, however you can. And so if you can read it every day, that's great. If you can listen to it on the work, if you, can't, if you don't have time to read in the morning, but you can listen to it on the way to work, that's fantastic. If you can listen to sermons, there are a bazillion sermons available on the internet. There's so many different ways to get the Bible into us. My friend Eric Huff, he's a great example of that. That guy, he listens to more sermons than anybody I've ever met. And the result is that he's got wisdom. So get God's word into you. If you want to be discerning in purity in all these different situations, get God's word into you. And then look down at verse 11 and 12. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And what this is saying is that our lives should radiate with holiness in such a way that it exposes the the deeds of the world for what they really are. Our lives should demonstrate. I don't think this is saying like we, we go around and we point out what every person is doing that Look, you're doing this is wrong. I think what this is saying is that our lives should be radiating with holiness and purity in such a way that when people see us, they say, what is different about that person? Why? They're so joyful. They don't do any of the stuff I do. Why are they like that? And they see how unsatisfying and unfruitful their lives are. Why in the world are they doing that? Our lives need to demonstrate the beauty and glory and holiness of God and how wonderful it is so that it shines light on the things of darkness. And I think Jesus is our greatest example of that. When Jesus was on the earth, isn't it amazing that people wanted to hang out with Him? Jesus was the holiest, most incredible person that ever walked the face of the earth and people were attracted to Him. Because his life demonstrated the reality of God. And so we want to imitate Jesus. He was a shining beacon. So this week, can I just encourage you this week to say, Lord, would you please help me to radiate you? So that as I go to work, that people see holiness. And that as I'm hanging with my friends at school, that people see that you are in me, that light is in me. Let's ask God, Lord, let people see my good works and give glory to you. That's what Jesus encouraged us to pray and to do. Let let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's our goal. And ultimately, what we want to see happen is, look down at verse 13 and 14. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes, becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It seems like what Paul is saying, that there are times when people see our lives, and it has a transforming effect on them. When people see the light of the living God shining from us, and it shines on their life, it awakens them. Don't you want to see that happen in other people's lives? Don't you want to see God use you so that your life affects other people and transforms other people? Wouldn't that be awesome if people saw that you were just pursuing the Lord? It's not like you're going out and you're having an evangelistic crusade. You are living a life of purity and people see it and God uses it to awake them from spiritual sleep and to give them spiritual life. That's what we want to see happen. That's let's be praying that God let your light shine through me to affect the people around me. Some of you your, your family is not saved. Pray, God, would you please just help me with my family so that they see you at work. Help me with my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends. That's what I want to do. I want God to shine through me. So, what I want to do now, I want to ask Greg to come up and the band to come up. We're going to sing this song, Refiner's Fire, which is just a prayer. Lord, I want to be holy. So, why don't we all stand together? I'm going to pray. Let's, let's ask God to do this in our lives. And I, before, before I pray, I just want to give you a minute on your own to pray to the Lord. And to just, whatever God is doing in you, whatever God has been speaking to you through this word, lay it before Him. So why don't we just take a minute on our own right now, let's pray to the Lord, let's ask Him to change us, and then I'll pray in just a moment. This is a hard passage for us. It is a high standard. So, would you please help us? Help us to submit to the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would work deep within us to change us and sanctify us so that we pursue purity in all that we do. Lord, help us not be numb to these things. Help us not to argue with these things, but to to humbly follow You. Help us to pursue holiness with all our hearts, Lord. We cannot do this on our own. Thank You that You sent Jesus to free us from the power of sin and give us power to change. So Lord, right now, give us power to change. Thank You, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.